the show today, uh, who are we talking to? Are we talking to, are we talking about uh, about race car stuff with Jeff Braun? Yeah, this is uh, probably going to be one of our best shows that we've had. No offense to anybody uh, that's been on the show, but... I had so much fun talking to Jeff. I can't wait to get him back on. I really yeah. can't. Yeah. No, we, um, uh, we, we had a lot to talk about and picked his brain about a lot of different things. So I think this will we, be a good we, one that, that all the listeners will enjoy. We could have talked to this guy forever. Like it, it wouldn't stop if if we if it hadn't been like literally we had to like go to bed and he had to keep working. <laughs> it, it, we well, could I think have gone for hours. It's so long we have to break it into two parts. And at the end of the second part, uh, there's probably like three, two or three times where we're like, "All right, well, thanks for coming on. We'll we'll talk to you later." And yeah. <laughs> we still keep going. <laughs> yeah, it couldn't end. It was one of those kind of shows. It was a good one. So yeah. Um. We we talked to some friends of ours and they want to present this show. Have you ever heard of K Miata? Uh, is that David Calzada's company? David Calzada from K Miata. Yeah, I I yeah. do think I've heard of that actually. Dude, have you uh, have you ever driven a Miata with a slow little Miata motor in it? I have. I, I have a lot of experience with that. Yeah, you've let owned me, one of those actually. Let me guess the the K Miata that's putting a Honda K twenty four engine from a tsx into an na or nb chassis right or k20 from a sermon rs yeah that's that's ET3 true or whatever yeah high revving four-cylinder na power uh he's got customers seeing 220 uh to 300 wheel horsepower with simple engine builds pretty sweet that's a Dude. decent amount of power especially yeah, in it that's it that's na right yeah there there's a there or there nb <sighs> <laughs> yeah, Miata terms. Uh, there's actually a 500 uh, horsepower uh, NA K series out there right now. Uh, four piston racing just built one, and it was I think it was showcased at PRI. I can't remember, but huh, that's pretty uh, nutty, yeah, man. There, there's a lot of drag race guys doing like well over 300, like yeah, streetable NA builds. So. Man, I mean, what's yeah, nice about the, about doing that K swap into the Miata though? It's all it's all bolt in. Yeah, his uh, his kit, uh, which. Uh, a certain podcast uh, team helped facil- facilitate some of the origins of. Is that driving while well uh, awesome? No. no oh, those okay. Guys. Okay. No, those guys. Those guys don't do anything. <laughs> um, it was. Uh, it was. It was those Dumbo's at Slip Angle, but. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I, I know actually, those guys. It, it, it fully bolts in and into a ninety to two thousand five Miata, and thirty pound weight savings off of a car with AC and power steering already deleted. So you wow. actually get less weight, none a, a better weight distribution in, in those Miatas. So. I don't think it was planned that way. It just happened to be lighter after everything was installed and weighed, right? Yeah, there's a there's a you know it's a, it's a bigger motor with a lot more stuff spinning around in circles than going vroom vroom, but it's aluminum block. Aluminum so. block versus the cast BP block. Yep. Yeah, the BP motor. It's uh, it's kind of a boat anchor. It's kind of a truck engine. But. What's nice about it though, from essentially from the bell housing adapter back. It's all Miata parts, so yeah, it retains the power plant yeah. frame. Well, I guess I guess from from custom flywheel back, it retains yeah. all of the the Miata yeah. parts. Yep that that would be the furthest back uh, thing that uh, K Miata sells you. But yeah, full flywheel think, adapter plate, everything like that. Yeah, and David's working on a lot of stuff this year too, isn't he? Yeah, the uh, uh, there's there's a lot of guys who love making crazy power, and uh, K Miata's uh, building a. Uh, Totally upgraded drivetrain that can handle lots of boost this year to be released in 2017 using a trans from something else. Um, and he's got a ton of little like K series things to make swaps easier. Uh, he's talked. He, he's planned uh, like a lot of little parts with uh, with other manufacturers too uh, to really simplify and kind of make this project and other K series swaps kind of a bolt in uh, and and simple affair. Uh, and there's a lot of cap- there's a lot of people using Miata transmissions and hit and uh, and his adapter plate and everything in other cars like uh, old BMWs and uh, Exosets and stuff like that too. So right, yeah, pretty cool. We appreciate his support of uh, of this show. So yeah, you can yeah, check, check them out, out over at Yeah, yep. There you go. Hey, step there we go. Stepping on each other with our professional. Ah. Yeah, Facebook.com/slash Kmiata, Instagram at Kmiata, and at Kmiata.com. So. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, so when's the next time we're going to see each other? Is that going to be at, uh, April grid life? I think so. At middle. Have you ever heard of grid life? No. What's grid life, Adam? Grid life is an event series, Austin. And you happen to work there. Oh, really? Um, 
Yeah, remember that ice racing thing we did a few weeks ago? Oh, yeah, that's right. That was a grid life event. But I didn't really have to work. No, it was actually more like us screwing around and, and not paying an entry fee. So that was kind of fun. So thanks, guys. And by and by work, you mean uh, check everybody's wristbands and their their helmet straps. Yeah, pretty much. That uh, although uh, at the ice that's, racing event, that's we what didn't people do too see. Much of that. It, yeah, our our, our portion of uh, of grid life really is trackside. Um, so if uh, if listeners and many listeners have uh, came to our track events, obviously. Uh, if you guys want to run a HPDE or a time attack event and have s- tons of fun and give us high fives, grid life is the place to go. Um, Austin and, uh, and some other buddies run, uh, the, uh, the beginner program and I kind of run everything on track and so you get to hang out with us. So you should check out grid.life to, uh, to see what we've got going on this year. It should be, it should be a really fun year. Yeah, it's gonna be a great season. I mean, there's more events this season than than any season past for Grid Life. So yeah, we're already two events in, and we haven't even been to a racetrack yet. So no, but we did. Um, we had we had some of the guys in Wisconsin make us a racetrack. This sort that was, of a that was that was custom. the The next day, uh, it turned into a river. Did you see pictures of that? Yeah, that was literally the end of the ice racing season. Yeah, we we I think they got like half a day in, and that's it. Yeah. So yeah, the, it was uh, like it was like somebody played closing time at the bar. Oh, people hate it when you play closing she wrote. time over the PA at Gingerman. <laughs> they hate that. Oh uh, man, good yeah, times. I, I, our, our season kicks off with track I mean, battle round one, uh, April eighth and ninth. That's when we get to give high fives next. Yep. So that's going to be great. Um, are you are you able to come out to the May five uh, track day event at uh, at Road America? So it's up in the air. So my sister okay. graduates from nursing school that day. That's right. In, you were telling me about that. In Kentucky, but it's the pinning ceremony is at 830 in the morning. So there's okay. a chance that I might be able to get up there by mid-afternoon. That but sounds totally It's doable. not looking super likely at the moment. But that's, <laughs> okay. that's the only event that I you know, am questionable about at the moment. Okay. After that, we've got our Gingerman uh, Festival, uh, June 9th through 11th. 11th that's the big event for the year uh the last few years i actually met um, uh, i invited a couple of the drag racers from southern illinois to make the trek out to that event oh, cool yeah cool. so the, maybe uh, maybe we they can run time attack in their 3000 horsepower ls powered cars i don't think that's gonna work very well no nah, probably not but we can try it'd right be fun to watch it'd be fun to watch we've had a few uh a few basically drag cars uh Take the track. That's that's not an uncommon thing at track events. Yeah. So yeah, I, I learned coming? a lot. I learned a lot about drag racing this weekend, and it, it went back to um, to this conversation that we're about to hear that we had with Jeff Braun about oh, yeah. drag racing and just how unique it is. You've never really done much of that, have you? Not really. I used to go to some NHRA stuff with my dad when he was working for Castrol. Um, okay. But other than that, I mean, you know, I, I got to spend a lot of time with some of our, our drivers this past weekend. And okay. get real up at close and, you know, talk to them about the cars. I thought it was interesting. A lot of those guys, they're allowed to stagger the front wheels up to an inch, um, you know, like side offset side? On, on axle, on the axle line. Really? Yeah. So they can offset it to actually increase the rollout um, so the beam doesn't trip. Interesting. So essentially, it's like putting a, a bigger tire on the car. Yeah. So by the time the beam breaks, you're already going faster which goes into the uh, the transponder at the front or the rear of the yeah. car conversation that we had. No, um, no, that we had no. later on this episode. Not Actually, again. that'll be that'll be part two. Oh yeah, <laughs> who we better to... to ask about the transponder placement issue than Jeff than, Braun. than Jeff Braun? Yeah. So uh, you we, guys we have to, to tune in next week about that. Actually, yeah. So yeah, everybody have to tune in, in next week to uh, to see what what I guess not next week on Friday. To yeah, see what Jeff, see what has, Jeff to say. has to say about it. <laughs> the the uh, I think in April we need to make a vlog about this, about what happens with the transponder front and back. But. Right. I mean, remember, we we tried to test it at Gingerman, well, and there was no did. difference when you were turning consistent laps. Yeah, when, when you're doing flying laps. I want to do the, the rolling across the start line lap. You know, like, yeah, that uh, one, that one start, should like show a start. very large difference. I don't think it would be very large, but it would be there probably. I think it would be a second. Uh, we'll see. We'll find out. But yeah, if anybody yeah, we, if anybody uh, thinks they know what the difference is, oh, uh, no. we should we should go ahead and start taking <laughs> wagers now. 
I'm I'm guessing it's gonna be a tenth of a second. No, no, it yeah. won't be a tenth. Well, when when we had uh, a transponder front and back on my car, uh, doing flying laps, it was exactly the same down to the thousandth. Yep. Um, if it's if it's more than a tenth, I'll buy you big boy. And Depends on how well wa- you can launch that car, my man. Uh, Go yeah, back to your true. drag racing that's roots. True. I did do I did do hundreds and hundreds of passes at drag strips, so I'm not that bad. But and speaking of that, some of these guys were doing like less than second sixty foot times. Jeez, that's so fast. Just insane. My best like ever point... was a one point six. God, one point six. I saw some little drive street car. Not that bad. But... That's not bad at all. I did. I saw a couple cars that were trapping at like two oh seven, two oh eight wow. this weekend. In an eighth mile. In the eighth mile. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. <laughs> I did 130 in a quarter mile and then 150 in a standing half mile race. And pegged out, I, right? I thought it was I pegged was pegged out awesome. at 150. Yeah, like out of gear. But so fast. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. So the the money that those guys spend makes uh, some of our, our club racing stuff look stupid. Yeah, totally stupid. Yeah. <laughs> totally stupid. So. Anyway, well, we should probably let these people listen to the show. Yeah, so this one will be broken up into two parts. Uh, really want to, you know, thank Jeff for for coming on the show. We need to have him on again soon. He's got a yeah. lot of lot of good, interesting stories, and you know, Adam and I, I think, both agree that this is one of our our favorite shows that we've ever recorded so far. Definitely one of our favorites. So, yeah, check out uh, check out the supporters for this show uh, at kmiata dot com and grid dot life. Uh, check out. Uh, their products and the events that they've got going on this year. So I uh, would love to see you guys out, out at some grid life events too. If, uh, if you're at an event, come, uh, come find us. We might be busy, but uh, you can always buy us coffee. So always all uh, the coffee, yeah. <laughs> all of them. I drink all the coffees. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening everybody. And I hope you guys enjoy the show. Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot. I'm Adam Jabay. What's up, guys? Uh, what's going on? Tonight, we have a super, super special guest. Uh, we've been trying to get yeah. him on the show for probably the better part of a year or so now. Uh, Mr. Jeff Braun. What's going on, Jeff? Hey, glad to be here. Um, you guys make it sound... Uh, I think the reason I haven't been on is because uh, I've just been too busy, but I'm really looking forward to it and have since you first uh, asked me a year ago. So I'm yeah. happy I finally get together. I ch- I chased Jeff down at uh, PRI this year. Um, I, I was standing next to our buddy Brad Adams, and I said, "Hey, is that Jeff Braun over there?" <laughs> Jeff, Br- Jeff, I, Jeff Brown, Jeff Braun, Jeff Brown, Jeff Braun, one or the other. Um, and uh, and we we probably walked two aisles because you were walking so fast, looking at things, flying around. It was the end of the day. So you're you were and, stalking him, is what you're saying? Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. I stalked him for at least a thousand feet, and uh, and then Brad Adam ta- Brad Adams talked his ear off for like 15 minutes, and I'm like. Hey, can I get uh, can I get your email address? <laughs> so, yeah. It's like asking for a girl's number, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's uh, I, I thought I'm not gonna blow it. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get that email address. No, um, that was that was cool. Uh, PRI show is a great a great show. Uh, my son Colin always the first time I took him there when he was like 13 or 14. We walked around for about a day, and he goes, Dad you like know one in every five people here. And I <laughs> thought, eh, I, maybe he's right. I don't know. It's a lot of yeah, people. It, so good to see you it, guys there. It gets busy. Uh, that this, this year was, uh, the second year we've been there since we've been doing the show and, and hosting our, our grid life track events. And we saw a lot of people we know that's a, mm-hmm. you don't get to see as much when you're having like a five minute conversation every two minutes, you know? Right. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah, um, I, I so wish I would have gotten to walk around, but, uh, didn't get a chance to, yeah, you were working the show. Yeah, uh, for the, the the turbo manufacturer that shall not be named. That is correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we we did get to uh, steal you away for a couple hour, for an hour to do a show, but um, yeah, for for people that don't know who aren't familiar with uh, with Mr. Brown here, um, you have been you started out racing, but you've been basically a race engineer and 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 uh, kind of the the 
the backside of a lot of pro race programs in everything. It seems like NASCAR, Indy, Top Fuel, Global Rallycross, everything, huh? Uh, for like yep. 30 years. Um, yeah, boy, at least that long. Yeah, I'm, I'm an old guy. Um, yeah, I've been started out racing go-karts when I was uh, seven or eight years old and moved into cars after a little while when I was 16, went to Canada and raced up there when you could do that, uh, when you had to be 18 to race in the U S and then, um, what was your, what was your first race car? A triumph? I think a triumph spitfire. Yeah. Yeah. G production triumph. Spitfire. I still have that car in my garage. It's the oh, that's only awesome. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, couldn't afford to keep any of the other ones. And so, yeah, it's, um, did that. And then um, it got to the point where there was a, I tell it this way, it's probably just my rationalization because I wasn't a good enough driver, but I like to say that I got more interested in the engineering part of it and I was always trying to make the car go faster and figure out what I could do to make it handle better and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and then they would call, you know, okay, G production to the grid. And I'd be like, oh, darn, somebody's got to drive this thing. So I would jump <laughs> It, I, again, I think that was just an excuse for, because I wasn't a good enough driver. But anyway, ended up really interested in the engineering side of it. Went to college and got a mechanical de- engineering degree specifically to apply it to r- race cars. And um, was fortunate enough to hit the right brakes and have enough people help me along the way and could make a living at it for the last 30 plus years. What uh, What was your first... Uh full-time basically full-time job in uh in the engineering side of uh, of race cars besides like you know helping buddies in the paddock and stuff what was the what was the first thing that paid the bills for you yeah um first thing from that standpoint was um i grew up with a i grew up in wisconsin racing go-karts and um a friend of ours that we met at the racetrack a, uh, by the name of Alan Kowicki, who was a NASCAR champion, um, Winston Cup champion. Uh, Alan and I grew up together and went to the racetrack a lot. And um, when he started uh, racing, we, him and I built a, a car for him to drive. He was three years older than I was. Okay. And um, we built that car, went to the local dirt tracks and all that, and that was still not being paid. But eventually we got to the point where um, my dad started a ASA team, which is kind of like the current K and N series, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we went ASA racing and we had some sponsors and all of that. And so I got paid to go be Alan Quickie's crew chief, basically on that, on that car. Um, probably not enough to really make a living at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that was more crew chief than engineering. Then I went and did some prep shop stuff, uh, took care of Sports 2000s, Formula Fords for guys, had my own little prep shop um, here in Texas. And that kind of paid the bills, but the but that was, again, more mechanic, mechanicing and taking care yeah. of the cars and all that. So there's this guy by the name of John Brumder who had a Trans Am car, and he called me up, uh, and I don't know exactly – I think we had a mutual friend or something, but anyway, he called me up and he said, Hey, I want to hire you to be my engineer. And I said, Oh, like, like work on your car and take care of it. And he goes, no, 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 no. I got guys for that. Just data acquisition was just coming into cars at the time. And he said, I got this data system. I have no idea how to run it. I need somebody to <laughs> tell me what all this means and help me with my setup and everything. And so he was the guy who gave me my first break in in pure race car engineering. And we went and did a season of Trans Am together. He was a privateer. We were racing against, you know, Tommy Kendall and and all the big boys. But um, we did pretty well for for a amateur driver with a uh, privateer budget. And from there on, um, uh, every year since then, I've. Uh, somebody's paid me to race engineer their cars. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that it, it seems like it's a, it's a really small community of, uh, of people that do what you do. Um, uh, cool to see somebody that's done it as long as you have then, uh, successfully too. So, uh, what, uh, in, in that time frame, what was like the, uh, 
the kind of the, the toughest stuff you really ever, you know, what were some of the biggest battles that you had to fight against a car or against a build or a deadline or anything? Does anything come to mind that, uh, you know, we stayed up for 27 days straight or anything like that? Oh, wow. The mem- those, you asked that question and it's like, whew, um, where, yeah, where do I start? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I believe it. <laughs> the whole, the whole time frame from my whole race engineering career, um, I've had some cars that, uh, I was going to say they're bad cars, but maybe I was just bad at setting them up, uh, which is, could be more likely, but there was one car in particular that was, uh, I think everybody agreed was bad. Um, probably, <laughs> probably designed and I'm not sure who exactly did all the design work, but the name on it was probably designed by one of the best race car designers of all time. And for some reason, he got this one wrong or he was influenced in ways where he wasn't allowed to do what he really wanted to do. I'm not sure all the details on it, but it was the Riley and Scott IRL car, Indy car. And that car was horrible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What what year was this? Was this the 90s or? I'm going to. Yeah, 2000, 2000 or 99, yeah, maybe. I, th- I thought you were doing some indie stuff around around then, yeah. Yeah, I did indie stuff from about 94 through 2001, along okay. with sports cars and top field drag racing. And I was on a team called Team Scandia that yeah. Yeah. I was technical director there for seven years, I think. And at one stage we ran IRL, CART, uh, ARCA, um, IMSA uh, with the Ferrari 333s. We ran Top Fuel. Uh, we ran, no, I guess that might have been it. So all, ran- all at the same time? Yeah, all at the same time. And I was like, oh gosh. I was the technical director over all of those. So I can't remember. It was some stupid number of races, like 61 races I went to that year. Cause there were some weekends where I would do split races where I'd be in, you know, a Saturday night IRL race and then fly to English town for the, for the top fuel race finals on Sunday or something like that. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that, that makes me tired. Think, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, uh, was it with Team Scania that you guys won the 24-hour Daytona the first time also? Or, uh, or was that IMSA Championships, I think? I forget. Yeah, we won the IMSA Championship in 95. Okay, 95. yeah. Yep, yep. with uh, Fermin Velez driving and uh, and you know, uh, Ferrari 333 against yeah. um, against some pretty good teams, you know, Wayne Taylor and, and Dyson Racing and those guys. So, yeah, that yeah. was the first uh, – sports car championship i had won that's cool man i can't, I didn't know you guys were doing that many things out of that you know the same company yeah it was we had a lot of things going on i think we we're the only team to run cart and irl or one of the few teams to run both yeah. um that one year there thinking back to some of the memories one year in the irl i think it might have been the first year so that would have been 96 probably we qualified seven cars for the Indy 500. One wow. team qualified Holy seven. Cow. Wow. Yep. Still a, <laughs> still a record. And, and yeah. was uh, was Indy qualifying still like three or four weeks long back then? Yeah, it was the true month of May where yeah. it was the six, six weeks of May that everybody called the month of May. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it, that year they were looking for cars. It was the first year of the IRL. And, um, you know, I'm not going to pretend that it was a 50 car field and we wedged seven cars into a 33 car field. But, um, but, you know, we, we qualified and started seven cars in that race. And that's, that's awesome. We we had just become partners with Dick Simon racing. And so it was Dick Simon and team Scandia kind of merged. We brought our sports car effort in that we had been doing since 92, I think, and merged it with. Dick's uh, cart and IRL program, and then, man, I yeah, we ended up with the Top Fuel program um, for with a, uh, a woman driver, girl, really young young woman, uh, Kristen Powell, 
So we ran that, and then we had Jimmy Kite in our ARCA car as well. Now, how does how does a team go from you know all the all the forms of turning left and right, and then also get into like the fastest uh, quarter mile stuff? Is it just hey, let's keep racing, let's do other things, and bring more sponsors in, or, or how does how do, how did that translate? Like where where did that come from? You know, if I remember right, it was um, one of the sponsors on our. IRL car, I think, was a computer company from Seattle, Sequent Computers. And Andy Evans, who owned Team Scandia, was heavily embedded in the whole computer industry. Um, he was yeah. like best friends with Bill Gates. And I think he he was, uh, you know, did a lot of financial investing and stuff for Bill. I don't think Microsoft particularly, but Bill himself, um, they both of those guys are really good friends. So he was plugged into that whole Seattle um, computer business, and we had sequent computers on the IRL cars, and the okay, it's been a long time, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> Kristen Powell was the daughter of maybe the president of sequent computer. Oh, okay, okay, and, and so we ended up, uh, and she was running Top Fuel, and we bought the team is basically what happened and, <laughs> and went top fuel racing. So yeah, was, let's do it. <laughs> we really didn't know what the heck we were doing. It was kind of like, okay, the team showed up at our shop in Indy and they rolled the top fuel dragster in and we all went, Whoa, this is pretty different. And yeah, all scratching your heads. Like, yeah. I don't know what, to, what does this do? <laughs> what is this? What is this? And, and then the top fuel dragster guys, uh, their crew chief was this brilliant guy, Mike Clover, who's still doing some drag racing stuff. He had been Don Perdome's funny car crew chief. And that's where I've heard that name. Yeah. I've heard that name oh. before. Yeah. Yeah. Mike was brilliant. I mean, uh, him and I hit it off really well together immediately. And cause I was, I kept on talking to him about what he was doing and why this worked. And he would walk over to what we were doing with IRL cars or the Ferrari 333s, and he would look at things and, and say, well, why do you do it that way? Wouldn't wouldn't you want to do it this way, or wouldn't this be better? Yeah. And, and I would walk over to Top Fuel car and do the same thing. You know, well, that seems kind of backwards. I Why, why don't you do it this way? And 90% and of the time, I was wrong, and 90% of the time, he was wrong, but we <laughs> – we lived for that 10% when Mike would come up with an idea that was, that I'd never thought of or me with yeah. him same way. Kind of outside and, looking in kind of thing, you know, exactly different experiences, um, in our careers to, that we just looked at things differently. So, so I, as kind of the head engineer in the whole program, I decided that all the teams could benefit from, kind of a cross pollination. Some of the data acquisition stuff we were doing on the IndyCar team, the drag race team was way behind on. And so we ended up putting, using a lot of our data acquisition engineers and people like that on the top fuel team. Okay. And the top fuel team was just fantastic at their procedures and processes and efficiencies of, you know, when you got to do a run in a, and even if you go through the lights with nothing exploded, your motor is still basically exploded. And yeah, you got to take it all apart. Right. And you got, yeah. at the time, it was 75 minutes before the next run. And yeah, it, it's so nuts to watch a top fuel team in the pits. It's crazy. Yeah, it's exactly. crazy. <laughs> exactly. And those guys are just masters. It's choreographed perfectly and so we learned we used a lot of their procedures and processes for our IndyCar and sports car team and cool. so my job was kind of to make sure that that we were getting the uh, all the benefits that each program had across the whole company that's uh, that's really interesting you wouldn't yeah. think that that there would be anything that translate yeah. you know but yeah and i guess yeah, it's when... a, a good point for people too you know just because you're not into a certain form of motorsport doesn't mean that there's something that you can't learn from it yeah absolutely absolutely i mean those guys i remember one time the sports car guys were maybe not complaining but moaning and groaning oh man you know it's we got a lot of work to do and it's so crazy at the track we need extra people um and i said okay well it, it just 
I think it was U.S. Nationals that we were based in India and the U.S. Nationals were that weekend and or we were going testing or something like that. And I said, OK, we're going on a little field trip. And I took all the sports car guys out to the drag race to watch the drag race guys. And we got to the track and and top fuel uh, was probably I guess it was just qualifying was probably going on or about to go on. And they all started heading for the grandstands. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We're going to stand right here. And we went to the to the pit area and the car was gone and it was a blank tent. And they could hear the cars running, you know, and back in the at the racetrack. And they were all like, well, why do we have to stand here? And I said, just wait. <laughs> and the, the guys come back with the car behind the behind the van and they're hauling butt down the return road, you know, because that 75 minutes starts basically when you leave the line. So they're towing this car back as fast as they can under the tent, you know, heads are off, pan is down, rods are out, pistons are out, blowers off being rebuilt, clutches burning hot and they're rebuilding the clutch. And these guys, after about 10 minutes of watching these guys, they all looked at, they looked at me and went, uh, okay, we get it now. We're not going to complain about how hard we work. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't make us do this. (laughs) Right. right, Exactly. Exactly. Those, those drag race guys are phenomenal at that. Yeah. It it really is a sight to see anybody that's listening that hasn't been to like a real NHRA or whatever drag race and watch top fuel or, you know, funny cars run and then come into the pits. It's, there's a crowd around like every one, just because you guys see it. It's just around every pit. It's nuts. I mean, unlike in road racing, I mean, that's general operating procedure during the event is to do rebuilds as opposed to road racing. You know, you, you pray that you don't have to do anything over the course of the weekend. Right. Or the season, you don't want to put your motor it's annoying if you got to pull your motor in july yeah right right <laughs> yeah. yeah those guys that's that's a real treat um you know go watch a few runs but uh spend most of your time uh back in the in the paddock area watching watching what those guys do and how quickly they do it it's 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 pretty neat so so yeah we we were able to kind of spread the the techniques and skills from each program throughout the whole the whole company Doing uh, doing that many different types of racing, did you did you develop um, more of a like a love for one or the other, or was it just like okay, this is my job, I need to make all these teams work well together and in their respective roles, we need to optimize everything, or or was it like I really really want to do sports car stuff from now on? Or... <laughs> well, it's it's funny because that's what you do now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I was a sports car guy kind of when I got there and. That's how I got into IndyCar racing was through that team. Actually, I'd done the year before. I did 94. I'd done some Indy Lights stuff for some other teams, and then I did the the 500 uh, in 94. But then um, back with Scandia again after that. And I think the thing that I – the thing I liked the most or, you know, you said what – what the what form of racing there did I like the most is the ones that I didn't know anything about. So the drag racing really attracted me. Okay. Because I I could learn, you know, not that I couldn't learn anything in sports cars, I still do today, but it was like, you know, the old drinking water from a fire hose learning. I mean, it was like <laughs> I know nothing about this. And so every it was like I was learning something new every second. And yeah. so that was that was a lot of fun to be able to do that. It's it's I had that same experience this year, this last year when at Core Autosport we went GRC, you know, Global Rally. Yeah, I saw that. that. That looked like a fun time. Yeah, I was like, whoa, this is way different. Way <laughs> yeah, those, those cars are in the air like almost as much uh, as they're on the ground. What it, uh, what's the yeah. setup like? Like, how do you learn about those cars? They seem like I don't know. Like you it's just somebody... have to copy WRC and then hope for the best. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I told people that. I said, well, I've, you know, I've had race cars come off the ground before, and it's always been a really bad thing. I've I've never actually run a car that was supposed to come off the ground until this GRC thing. And it was, I, I don't know exactly what the setup is. Um, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, uh, how, you know, how many races did you guys do with them? We did six races. And okay. because those are the ones that didn't conflict with the IMSA, our IMSA program. 
Okay. And uh, we were on the podium in five of them. So we were, we, you know, we were pretty happy with that. I'll yeah. have to say uh, it wasn't because of great setups. It was because um, we had a, you know, our driver was really good. And that's what, you know, that's what got us. That's what got us the podiums. I think we, um, somebody did the, did the math. I haven't done it, but um, if the schedule was only those six races we did, I think we would have won the championship. So we're pretty, pretty happy hmm. with it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally different from uh, uh, from everything else. It seems besides you know a little bit of crossover with with like world rally cars, but yeah. fun yeah. to watch. Yeah, the fun format the format seems really interesting too. I mean, it's it's good for oh. spectators, but you know you don't have to spend. I guess in the pits you end up spending a decent amount of time in between in between heats and things like that. But um, mm. it's it's interesting. Yeah, you would you would think it's a lot like that drag racing deal. I mean, you get back. And those cars are beat. Um, and because it's, you know, the heat races are last about six minutes. And the big grand finale, okay, end of the weekend, we're going to have the big giant finale race that decides it all last nine and a half minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is no, well, I think I'll set this guy up and pass him, you know, on the next lap in that corner. Or, I mean, it is... If you don't pass them the minute you think you might have a slim chance of passing them, it's too late. Yeah, you you just and end so, up going for it as a driver, I guess. Right, right, right. And, you know, we had my son Colin driving and John Bennett in our two-car team. And Colin was just like, uh, you know, he said, okay, this is, this is like the old go-kart days when you had a 10-lap, you know, final in, and you had to get it done right then. It was... You stuck your nose in there if there was a hope of making it in there. So you ended up with the front knocked off, the sides knocked off, the rear knocked off, and, and <laughs> you get back. And, and and then the alternator would have failed because you're jumping and landing and it shakes the alternator apart or the starter doesn't work. And it's it's a real thrash um, to, to turn those cars around. But Just like rebuild the whole car, huh? Right. Right. It's uh, – <laughs> It, it was a lot of fun. We we're going to do it again this year uh, oh, cool. with, Colin, with Colin and John, and um, we're really you know we're trying to get better, trying to learn more and more. And uh, we ran the lights class. There's two classes. There's the supercar class, and which is all factory kind of driven thing, and then the, the lights class, which is a spec um, uh, rally car, basically or you know, specifically for rally cross, but it's a spec car with, so yeah, you can, you know, we don't have the huge budgets for dampers and motor development and all that kind of stuff. And, okay. And our goal is to kind of show what we can do, do a good job and maybe attract a, a factory so we can go supercar racing in the future. Cool. That's uh yeah, it's so fun to watch. Um, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be the guy working on the car. That I've heard some interviews with with some drivers, and it's like, oh yeah, they they you know the crew is rebuilding the motor between some of the runs, and they're just taking you know every body panel and every piece of suspension comes off and gets fixed and bent, and it's it sounds like a nightmare to be a, on a team, but also really really exciting. Um, yeah. never, never dull. But no, no, it's you know for the people for anybody that hasn't seen one on TV or been to one, it's. Um, the format is almost exactly like Supercross. So, you know, a couple heats, a semifinal, a last chance qualifier, which is desperate because that is yeah. the last chance qualifier, and then the final. And that all happens for two classes, for lights and supercar, all in one day. Yeah, so wild. Yeah. yeah. Well, short short races, you get the opportunity to, you know, run more of them in one day, but then you got to fix the car more, I'd imagine. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty, and there are some things that apply. The good thing is, um, you know, for us, I think the thing that helped us the most is, um, we had Colin driving who was, who's fast on asphalt stuff and never driven anything on dirt before. Um, so most of the tracks are about 75% asphalt and 25% dirt. So, okay. We quickly learned that I didn't have any idea and uh, how we were going to set this car up for the dirt. So we just said, forget that. We'll 
try to set it up for the asphalt and be good where we where we know we're good. Okay. And that, that worked out for a little while, and then we were getting killed in the dirt section. So we said, okay, let's set it up for the dirt, and we'll not worry about the setup on the asphalt, and we'll just make Colin adapt because he can adapt pretty well to asphalt. You know, but the yeah. setup it's not perfect in asphalt, and so he did his thing in the asphalt, and we worked on the dirt, and um, we did okay. We were not the best, but we, um, but we did okay, and and had fun. So looking forward to this coming year. A steep learning curve, big time. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I asked uh, for some questions from, uh, from friends of ours and, uh, and, and Ross Bentley and stuff. And, uh, Ross said that, uh, um, you know, some of the interesting teams that you guys, uh, that you've worked with over the years, uh, the one that stands out in everybody's mind, especially for club racers and stuff is, uh, is level five. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you did, you did kind of a long, uh, a long thing with uh, dinner with racers on the, um, the DSR car, uh, uh-huh. which is which is just the most insane build I've ever heard, like, <laughs> just totally insane. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a couple other cars there that were uh, runoffs, winners, and totally nuts uh, cars. Um, somebody really wanted to hear about our buddy Brett wanted to hear about the the I think it's STO uh, Porsche, the all-wheel drive Porsche. Um, yeah, yeah, that Porsche, one. Porsche. Sorry, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was the car with G valves and the shocks and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Wow, somebody really did their homework on that I, one. I, I've listened to everything that you've ever spoken into a microphone. <laughs> I think I think I've found I found all your intercom uh, stuff from back in the day. You know, <laughs> no, you know, you, you went into a little bit of detail with Dinner with Racers with it, and uh, th- those that's even the shock the shock G valves that fascinates me. But yeah, uh, yeah. What, what was the what was kind of you know how did uh, how did that car come into being and you know and, and uh, do you remember much about that program or no? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was um, so that was. How did it come into being? Hmm. I think it was David Stone and Jeff Stone who owned uh, Kelly Moss Racing, and uh, David passed away about a year ago. But and he was the team manager at Level Five. And Are they out of Wisconsin? Is Kelly Moss in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee? Yes, yep. Yep. Yeah, actually madison okay okay yep and so that's where level five was based out of the race team was based out of out of a a big shop there um and and david stone ran the uh level five part of it and jeff ran kelly moss and and still does today yeah they 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 just had a bunch of cars featured in a couple magazines i just uh, s3 magazine a couple other ones they do a lot of different builds especially on porsche stuff absolutely so they were big jeff and david were big porsche guys and um i think the way this all worked is uh ed zabinski was a friend of scott tucker's and helped scott get going in his early days of scca and Ed and David Stone knew each other, and Scott Tucker wanted to go more and more into into pro racing. And Ed Zabinski got um, got Scott connected with David and started Level Five. And so that Kelly Moss, being a Porsche Porsche kind of team, um, there was you know they had some really great knowledge uh, of Porsches and all of that and the history of Porsches. And, and so when Scott decided that he wanted to do some SCCA stuff, this is after we'd been pro racing. I mean, we had been to Lamar, we had been championships in LMP two and, and he was a, you know, Scott was a top level semi pro. I mean, you know, for the people that know about the, the ranking system in pro racing, there's the pros and the amateurs and the FIA ranks everybody and, and the amateurs are, are silver rated drivers. And, and Scott was probably the best silver rated driver in the world at the time. So he had yeah. reached a very, very high level of, of driving, but he still liked doing the SCCA stuff. So <laughs> that's so crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. He just, this guy loved racing. I mean, he loved driving. And for people who don't know about uh, about you know the history with Scott Tucker and, and Level Five, but basically like picture you know if you're right you know if you're in the paddock and you look at your equipment and then you look at the next best equipment in the paddock, like daydream that ten times it 
kind of uh, there's no ifs. Uh, he right. he could do what he needed to do to win a race. So absolutely, and that that's why I had so much fun there is because because it was fun and scary at the same time. I've told people this before because there were no excuses. You know, it w- was never like, well, Scott, yeah, we didn't win. You know, if we would have been able to afford <laughs> a couple sets of tires more or some testing, you know, there were no excuses. It was like. Well, we're not fast enough and we didn't win. Uh, what's the problem? And the, the only answer could be, well, we're not good enough or I'm not good enough or something like that. So it was – so I guess back to the Porsche thing. Um, I, I think really it was the people that Scott trusted kind of convincing him and it didn't take much convincing of these cool projects for the runoffs. Uh, Ed Zabinski was the guy who was, who was, uh, the prime lead. He was the program manager on the DSR and he was like, Scott, we should do this. And Scott's like, and he, Ed laid it out and Scott's like, yeah, awesome. That sounds really cool. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's spend millions of dollars on one race. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because there was, it's so crazy. (laughs) Yeah. He was convinced to do it and he was going to have fun doing it. And Ed thought it would be great. And it was kind of like Ed's, it was, it was kind of like Ed's little program that he wanted Scott to do. And Scott thought it would be great. So we did it. Yeah. It's and the stuff of legends with, uh, with rules writers nowadays uh, at SCCA. It, Scott Tucker, like the what if Scott Tucker comes up in every uh, super touring advisory committee <laughs> really? meeting that I'm in. Like every, every potential rules change. It's like, okay, uh, now what if Scott Tucker showed up with, so, with, uh, with whatever he wanted to do with this rule, what could happen? <laughs> Every single meeting. You have to analyze it from the extremes. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and, and for, for a, a rule to be written well, it should be written to where, you know, where budget and like, you know, if you take, if you pull out all the stops, uh, you know, that the rule should still work, you know, it should still work. Right. So, right. so really, he, I mean, you guys changed the way a lot of even the rules committees think about club racing nowadays. Like literally every meeting that I'm in, it comes up. Wow. <laughs> so. wow. Well, that's kind of, that's but, kind of a, uh, a cool legacy, I guess. We, and, yeah. A little bit, a little bit. You know, so you built, you built a crazy Porsche yeah, well, <laughs> and so a like, Ferrari. The Porsche. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk about, talk about that Ferrari too, but the, so anyway, to get it, to move along here, the Porsche was, uh, I think this Jeff and David stones kind of project. Zeminski really, Ed was like, let's do this prototype. And Scott said, yeah, let's do it. So we did it. And I think David stone and Jeff stone said, wow, we should build this crazy Porsche and do that. And Scott said, okay, yeah, let's do that. And <laughs> so they, they had this Porsche. It was a four wheel drive. I'm not a Porsche guy. Sorry. Um, it was a, but, a 996, which is like the first generation of water cooled Porsches. Yeah. Right. Right. It was a 996. And yeah, I mean, I really shouldn't say I'm not a Porsche guy. I'm running one and my team runs the factory Porsche effort. So I should be a Porsche guy, but <laughs> I'm, but, but you're really into triumphs, you know, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the weird thing about it is I spent most of my time running Ferraris. I've, you know, I won the 24 hours at Daytona in a Ferrari. I've won championships in Ferrari. So don't I can't say that name too much anymore now being a Porsche guy anymore. But <laughs> I feel okay, like we'll make I feel like all the cars that you engineer need to have a, a sticker that say my other race car is a triumph. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um we built this Porsche and you know we ran it two years. The first year it was uh we thought well, a lot of people thought it was crazy, and we made it just crazier the second year. But the first year, we called it the Hurricane. That was the internal name for the car um, because we bought the car, and it had this kind of like uh, – looked like a wave, like a tsunami kind of wave on the side of it. That was just whoever owned it before had painted that on the side as part of their – you know, part of the paint job. And so yeah. it looked like a hurricane. So we called it the Hurricane internally. And – so the hurricane was four wheel drive. Um, we, uh, the guys at Kelly Moss built this crazy motor for it. Um, intercooled turbo, um, 
And the problem was, the thing made like the first year, I think it made 580 horsepower or something like that. And four wheel drive with a 20% front, 80% rear split. But it had to run the rule for that class. It had to run on a DOT tire. Yeah, yeah, it, like a, a Hoosier R6 or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like, whew, that was going to be, you know, not, you wouldn't run that car on that tire normally. <clears throat> so we went and tried it, and the thing had, I mean, it would spin the tires in all four tires in, like, fourth gear coming off of corners. I mean, it was ridiculous. And so <clears throat> we got we got That's that so punk, crazy. You know, being a Porsche, we got Pat Long to come and and do the development work on it, and Pat and I worked on it for a while. And naturally, we, you'd get Pat Long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pat's a Pat's a good guy. He just drove for me at uh, for us at Daytona just uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, um, yeah. That was on our on our deal. And so I've known Pat for a long time, and he, you know, he he, he came and drove it. I don't think he knew exactly what he was getting into. You know, uh, we said, Hey, we're going to do this Porsche for the runoffs. So you want to come and do the development work? And he checked with Porsche and they said, yeah, if it's a Porsche go. So he came and I think the first time he drove it, he was like, not really expecting, you know, he'd never driven anything that crazy before. <laughs> on, on, a tire, on that, not racing of a tire, you know? Well, it's a, it's a race tire, but it's still like, you know, legal to drive to Wendy's. So, right. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, so we had a long relationship with Multimatic, which is the company that currently builds the, um, with Riley builds the new DPI prototypes and does a lot of, uh, of the Fords builds the Ford GT, uh, the new Ford GT, um, for Ford. Uh, big, big company. And they also own uh, Dynamic Shocks, which is, uh, uh, you know, along with Penske and, and um, you know, Olin's probably one of the top three. Um, yeah, real high-end stuff. Real, real high-end high end race. Yeah. That's right. They do, they do dampers for Formula One cars and all of that. So uh, we used a lot of their CFD and simulation and all of that kind of stuff. So we ended up putting these these shocks. So this Porsche is big and heavy, stops, engine's in the wrong place. So <clears throat> when you stand on the brakes, the it try it. There's a lot of pitch, and so these G valves were shocks that Dynamic built, which had a mechanical sensor in them that is just a pendulum kind of thing that it, when you put on the brakes, the pendulum would cover up a, a bleed hole and make the shock, the rear shocks stiffer in rebound and the front shocks stiffer in bump to keep it flat. But yeah. then we got off the brakes and the pitch wasn't there. The pendulum swung, opened up those holes and you had nice high grip making shocks for the corners. Mm -hmm. And it really transformed that car. It made it work. And so can't remember the first year don't think we won it the first year or maybe it was the second year we didn't win it i can't remember right now um the second year though we said okay 600 horsepower is not enough so they went crazy on the motor and it had nearly 800 horsepower the second year <laughs> still on the same yeah. size tire yeah, yeah still on the spec yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah like a like a 200 295 r6 or something crazy like that but yep yep i think uh, that's a, a lot of power is there a r there's a couple harder ones like a seven and an eight is there too there, there's back then this R3s? was like what, 2010 or something like that um uh, maybe no this would be like 2012 probably okay uh, r6 um, is probably the, yeah the r6 and then the a6 the a6 is the, the autocross the softer yeah. compound. Okay. Well, we had to run the hard one. Okay. Because, yeah, the R6 then, yeah. Yeah. When we were testing, we blew out a couple. Um, and what we ended up having to do, you had to run tire warmers because – so we had these tire warmers on the grid so that we could warm the tires to put on the car because if you ran the cold pressures that you needed to go, you know, to make grip – you would yeah. end up failing the tire on the first lap before the tire pressures had got up. And <laughs> on the first lap, 
Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> it made so much downforce that it would just basically smash the sidewall, you know, you know, the, uh, pinch the sidewall between the rim and the track basically. Wow. Because it hadn't built up enough pressure. So we had to start them at the hot pressure. So we put them in the blankets to get them up to 200 degrees, set the pressures at our hot pressures, bolt them on the car. And when you left on that first lap, you were at hot pressures and had the, the, the stability and the strength in the sidewall to not fail the sidewall. You guys lost one of them because you lost a tire, didn't you? Yes. Yes. That might've been the first year we won one year and we uh, blew that tire in the second, the second year or the one of the other year. I can't remember which one it was, but yeah, I was there for one of the years and I don't remember which, I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> yeah. I think I was there the year that you blew the tire, but I don't, I don't remember. Or I was reading about it. I don't remember. Can't remember. It all, yeah. all that stuff kind of runs together a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think that was the first year. The first year we didn't run the DSR. We ran that Ferrari in S. No, ST, STO or STU, S- not STU. STO, right. Yeah. Right. Against like this crazy guy in a Viper. Um, yeah. Yeah, crazy guy in a good way. I mean that in a good way, like crazy fast guy in a Viper. And so we took a Ferrari challenge car and cause it was legal and kind of went nuts. We did, we built special shocks for it and we did a whole new brake package. And so it was like a Ferrari challenge car kind of, but more like a IMSA GT two car that you would run at Le Mans kind of halfway halfway in between. And I think that had a run on that. Yeah, it did. It had a run on that spec tire too. Yeah. That yeah. That's kind of like the spec tire for pretty much everything, but like the production classes, which are like the ancient old stuff, you know? So, Got it. Got it. Yeah. Ed Zabinski did, he was, did all the test driving on that, um, on that Ferrari. Ed and I had a great time just trying stuff and, you know, we did a lot of, a lot of testing and a lot of development. Um, because, you know, the runoffs, for me, the runoffs are a great, not maybe to, to do it level five style, um, but to win the runoffs is really, really hard. I've, I've, you, know, you can go win a championship in IMSA or something like that, and you can, you can get it wrong maybe one race or two races as long as you don't get it too badly wrong and still win the championship. You know, yeah. you go to the runoffs and you're at Road America or wherever, mid-Ohio, and you have a 13-lap race and you make one little mistake and you don't win the runoffs. And yeah, everything has to be perfect, yeah. Exactly. And I've always, you know, I've uh, I've been able to win a few with some other guys in Formula Ford and uh, as engineering or doing shocks for them or something like that. And and always had a great appreciation for anybody that can win the runoffs or or podium at the runoffs because that is you know pro races uh, you can however you want to rank all the races in the in the u.s in a year winning the runoffs is pretty special and really difficult i have a a good appreciation for people that can do that um have uh, have you personally raced uh in the runoffs when you were younger i think you did didn't you no, I, so the runoffs were always September, October. And oh yeah. I heard you say you were in college. That's right. Yeah. So I was doing yeah. college and, and I qualified two or three times. I think, um, I did the Canadian runoffs in, which is basically the kind of their, they have CASC, which is their version of SCCA. Yeah. <clears throat> I did the Canadian runoffs and finished third there when I was 16, I think. Um, okay. But never did the never drove in the um, the U.S. runoffs. Did a lot of sports 2000s for people. A lot of um, engineering work there. A lot of uh, Formula Fords. A lot of shock absorber work. I was uh, Formula Ford 2000 or Formula Continental, I guess it's called. And SECA did um, got three or four wins with my stuff in in Formula Continental and Formula Ford and. All of that, but uh, so that's what, where I got an appreciation for how hard it is to to win that thing. How do yeah, you think? Not... How do you think? Uh, you know, having experience as a driver, um, in addition to being an engineer, has has affected your career as an engineer. 
Uh, I'm not too familiar with with other engineers, but you know, to my knowledge, not a whole lot of them have a lot of uh, experience Seat as drivers. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I boy, I think it helps a lot. Um, it's there's a lot of different uh, types or backgrounds of engineers of race engineers today. Some of them are, you know just absolutely brilliant numbers guys and, and, um, approach it from that standpoint. I, I try, I'd approach it more from the driver's standpoint. To me, my, my theory has always been if I have a good, you know, you have to have a good driver no matter what. So if I have a good driver and I can make the car feel, handle and do the things that he wants it to do, the way he wants it to do it, then I'll get the most out of my package because my driver will get the most out of himself. He'll be able to to do everything he wants to with that car and get the get the most out of it if it's if it feels the way he wants it to feel. So that's always driven me in my engineering work. Um, that's the goal. It's not uh, well. The simulation says this setup's better, so live with it. Or the data says this, so you're going to have to do that. I certainly use all of those things to help me um, come up with an answer. But the question is always, what does the driver need? Right. Not what does right. the data say or what does the simulation say. So it's the, what does the driver need, and and I'll use all those tools to help me get that form. So the driver's the the largest data set for you, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I've told people they, you know, some I've been asked before, what's the, you know, what's the biggest tool you have? Is it, is it the CFD? Is it the wind tunnel? Is it your simulation? Is it your data? And, and it is always, no, it's the driver by far and away. The driver's feedback is overrides any of that and is the most important key element to setting up a race car right. for the way I do it, for the way I do it. Okay. You know, something that I, I've kind of taken an interest in lately is a, a lot of people talk about when you're tuning a race car, you know, you can tune tune the car or, or tune your driving. You know, obviously you want to do both. But at what point do you decide to tune one or the other? Um, you know, instead of having having a driver try something different while they're driving, you go, you know, we really need to change this on the car first before you change what you're doing as a driver, instead of, you know, just changing one variable at a time. It's uh, <clears throat> a great question. Um, uh, and, and I have a, I have a real theory on that. It's so I think the really good drivers, the good setup drivers and, you know, who are good at, at setting up cars, I've been lucky enough to work with uh, uh, two or three guys that I really, really think are good at that. And, you know, um, I guess I'm a little bit biased, but my son Colin is uh, really good at that. And so I think many people I, would agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he, and obviously there's, there's something to be said for the fact that him and I've been working together on race cars for 22 years now, I think, probably 22 years. So, you know, it, that whole, well, the driver's got to understand the engineer and the engineers take some time to understand the driver. We got that figured out. And so the two of us together can, can arrive at a setup that works for him pretty quickly because I know what he needs. Um, and I've, I've come I've had a couple other drivers along the way that I could do that with really well. Um, but the last two years I've been engineering Colin. So it's just shown again, how quickly we can come to that and the way he does it. And the way other, these other good guys have done it is you send them out. Okay. Here's your setup. And, um, goes out and runs some laps and the good guys will adapt Let's say it's got a big understeer and for them and they, they what they'll do is they will analyze the understeer. OK, I've got understeer. Then they'll try some things with their driving to reduce that, to fix that problem. And then they'll come to the pits and they'll say, OK, I got this understeer. Here's what it does. It does it understeers like this, you know, from the from the right when I release the brake. 
through the center of the corner and it goes away when I get on the throttle. Okay, great. Good information. I got that. And then the good guys go, and if I hang on the brake a little bit longer to the apex, I can get it to turn the way I need it to turn. So they've adjusted their driving mm -hmm. to make it do what it needs what it needs to do better. But more importantly, they've realized what they've done. They can describe exactly what they've done. And that helps the engineer a lot by, okay, well, if he did that, then by hanging on the brake, he's kept the front loaded longer. So what I need to do is do something with the setup to keep the front loaded longer so he doesn't have to do that so he can go quicker without having to compromise his driving technique to make yeah. the car turn. Right. So you said, do you adjust your driving of the car? The good guys do both. Okay. They do both. <clears throat> then I make the car better. Hopefully he goes back out and says, yep. Uh, okay, good. I don't have to hang on the, on the brake any longer and it turns good and we're on to the next thing. Then of course you get into the race and we're not going to be adjusting much. And that's when the driver's ability to adapt to conditions and tire wear and, and or just to plain miss the setup, that's when that, that ability comes in. And then, of course, you're adapting all the time, every lap.